This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Optum, a health services innovation company dedicated to helping people live healthier lives and helping make the health system work better for everyone. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Healthcare challenges in America were substantial even before COVID-19. The lack of cohesive data sharing and a fragmented system often resulted in poor yet expensive care for patients. In this segment, 23andMe CEO and co-founder Ann Wojcicki will join the Washington Post to talk about the research her company is doing into the coronavirus. Let's listen. If you're just joining us, I'm Paige Winfield Cunningham, the health policy reporter here at the Washington Post, and I'm delighted to introduce our next guest. She is the CEO and co-founder of 23andMe, Ann Wojcicki. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Want to talk about COVID uh, starting out, of course, because what else do we think about these days? Uh, I know that 23andMe launched a study in April looking at genetic factors that could affect the severity of COVID-19 symptoms. Can you tell us a little bit about that study and even share some preliminary results if you have them? Mm-hmm. We launched a study on April 6, and I'm really excited. We have now over a million people who have taken that online survey. Um, we have over 20,000 individuals who said that they have had COVID and were sick, um, and we have thousands who also said that they had been hospitalized. So we've been able to actually look through quite a bit of data, and we have a couple interesting findings. The first one, which we talked quite a bit about, was the ABO finding in blood type, and that O actually looks protective. The second, uh, it looks protective, and it's a you know anywhere from sort of a six to twenty percent sort of decrease in severity and likelihood of um, um, susceptibility. Um, the other aspect that is really interesting is sort of this question of ethnicity and why is it that some um, you know communities are much harder hit? And even when we looked at the data and we adjust for um, you know sex, income, um, health. Um, you know, pre-existing conditions, we still see that Blacks and Latinos are significantly higher risk for being hospitalized than uh, European white communities. And um, I think that's something that we really need to have the entire academic research world be able to come together because we to get the statistical findings that we need, um, we need larger data sets. But it definitely looks like there's there's important research to be done there. Well, and we know data, to your point, like this is really, really important for understanding the virus, who it's affecting and how it's affecting them. Um, Do you plan on expanding your database at all? And are you working with uh, the CDC or other government agencies to share any of this information? We're always, we're always, we're continuously expanding. We actually launched a program um, about a month after we initially had the surveys saying that we're giving away up to 10,000 free kits for anybody who had COVID-19 and was hospitalized and they're not already a customer. So we are trying to expand it organically by just giving out kits. We are looking to work with a number of different academic groups, the CDC, anyone who actually wants to help uh, partner on research, we're absolutely open to that. So we have been reaching out to a number of different groups and as these data is collected, we will be part of those studies. 
it seems like this is such an opportunity for 23andMe to play this role in providing this this great data in research. Um, is this something you had anticipated? Is this the type of activity you had sort of anticipated being able to participate in? Obviously, you couldn't have foreseen that there would be a coronavirus pandemic, um, but you know, it seems as though you're pretty well positioned in this moment to contribute to the research. Well, one of the things that we, when we started the company, we always said, you know, it's kind of crazy that to do a clinical study or if you're in an academic center, you have to spend so much of your resources on recruiting individuals, bringing them into the study, sort of setting up the entire study. And 23andMe was started with the premise that we want to um, have a community of people who are just there and ready to answer questions and want to have opted into research. And in this case, I'm really proud of the 23andMe community where um, you know, we have over 12 million customers now. We put out this survey. We got a, you know, a million people very rapidly to take this. We already have genetic information on them. We have you know, a number of these customers have already opted in and given us additional phenotypic information about them. So we had um, what we call sort of you know, research on demand, like almost that ability to, to just you know, log into the computer and Google anything. We have this ability to reach out to our customers, put out a survey rapidly, and collect information and make a discovery. And I think as you know, the previous speakers had talked about, there's a real importance in having a nationwide surveillance system. And in the absence of having anything like that, 23andMe provides this ability to get real-time answers on really important medical questions. So when there is a question, we have that ability to put out a survey, um, send it to customers who have opted into research, and get an answer relatively quickly and inexpensively. I want to uh, take an audience question that re we received, and I know Dr. Denny and I talked about this issue as well, and that is privacy. Uh, Connie Demary from New York says, how do you ensure patient customer privacy at 23andMe? Privacy has always been a top priority for the company. And we said in the earliest days that we can't really have a business unless we can do everything we can to protect the privacy of our customers. And I had, I, we spent a lot of time with privacy experts in the earliest days. And what, what they taught me was that privacy is defined by choice. People wanna have the choice about how they wanna share their data or not share their data. And what 23andMe, if you look at our consent form and everything we've done, we want to give people options to say, you have the ability to share with your family, you have the ability to share with your doctor, you have the ability to download your data if you want it. But if you never want to share and you never want to consent for research, and if you want to delete your data, you absolutely have all of those rights. And so privacy and choice have always been top priorities for the company since day one. And it's something that I'm, I'm hopeful that as uh, a leader really in digital health and, and having millions of individuals that we can set a trend actually for the entire healthcare system to give people more, more, more choice and more transparency about how their data is actually being used. To that end, Congress is working on legislation to uh, protect patient information uh, for health, health data that's gathered on wearables like Fitbits um, or phone apps. Can you give us your thoughts on that? Is that a good thing? And is there any point at which you're worried about overregulation? 
I think I haven't looked at that in detail. I think that the most important things, it's kind of what I said, I think that people need to, to have choice and transparency. When I think about 23andMe and I talk about our research initiatives, over 80% of our customers opt in. And, and once you've opted in and you're, you're taking a survey, at the top of the survey, it, it reminds you, you're opted into research. And I think it's really important for people to understand and to know what those choices are, what the decisions are that they've made and how is information being used. And I think as we're getting all of this digital data and you have wearables and you have your phone, I wanna know what's happening with that. And I think it's really important for all those companies to be really transparent. But, but almost more than that, I look at like the existing system that's there, like my when I go and I pick up a prescription at a at a pharmacy, or I go to you know get a mammogram at the hospital, or I have a biopsy or something. All that information, when I sign the consent form at a major hospital, there's no transparency really about what that happens. And I think that not just looking at digital digital care, but I think looking at the whole system, I think there needs to be that kind of transparency. The pandemic, of course, has had a devastating effect on the economy and on businesses through the lockdowns and uh, consumer spending is down and such. Um, I know that your own company recently laid off 100 people. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the economic turmoil has affected 23andMe? It's interesting. We had um, 23andMe has reached a level of popularity and um, you know, uh, we're part of the, the you know, the common day vernacular. People talk about their ancestry results. They talk about Neanderthal. And yet in 2019, sales really slowed. And my only hypothesis as to why was actually from privacy, which I can understand. People look at the Cambridge Analytica issues. They look at, um, you know, other privacy breaches that happen. And they said, I just want to pause. I want to understand how information is being used. Um, and then obviously we come to 2020 and sales, um, sales definitely slowed in that early March phase, um, which was after our layoffs. And, and again, the layoffs really came from sort of the 2019 kind of um, slowdown, but sales have really picked back up. And, and I'm always, um, you know, I, I definitely am su surprised at how much the sales have uh, picked back up and the economy is, um, is, is seems to be robust. When I talk to other consumer companies, um, they are definitely seeing, um, you know, a steadying state that has frankly surprised us. Well, and I could sort of see it both ways, I guess. I mean, on one hand, people have generally less disposable income and perhaps, you know, lots of worries about school and work and such. On the other hand, people are more interested in data about their health as they think about the threat uh, of the coronavirus. Um, wanted to ask you about a slightly different topic, and that is the Black Lives Matter protests. I know that on June 2nd, you wrote an open letter expressing support for Black Lives Matter. And in that letter, you said you didn't actually have any Black employees above the director level. Um, I'm wondering if you've made any changes since then or you know how you might go about changing the demographic of your workforce. It's a really important uh, initiative for the company. And I think the Black Lives Matters movement really, um, I think, impacted everyone at the company and made people step back to say, as much as we have the right types of intentions, we need to relook at how we're doing things. And, and that looks at our hiring practices, 
are um, you know potentially microaggressions within the company? Um, who are we partnering with? And I think it's it was sort of a moment to reflect that again, despite it, the right intentions, we have to change something because the output and the end result of what we're doing is not right. So, so we definitely um, we have been really full force looking at what uh, what can we do with our hiring practices, our culture, having um, you know looking at our the the types of partners that we have. Um, I am really pleased to to say we actually have we hired a new uh, head of our uh, medical uh, uh, medical affairs team, who a VP of medical affairs and the uh, and clinical operations who uh, is of African descent. Um, he's phenomenal, um, Dr. Okay, Oki, I can't say his full last name yet, um, and uh, is a phenomenal hire for us. Um, and, and we're looking at other aspects of the company where you know every hire that is coming in the door, I wanna make sure that we have the right type of approach for that so that we're getting diversity. I wanted to ask you about advertising as well. I know that 23andMe doesn't currently allow companies to advertise to customers on your website, um, but I'm wondering, is it something you consider in the future? Obviously, this is something that happens all the time with Google and Facebook. We've always taken the approach of what's in the best interest for our customers. And, and I'm really, when, when people ask, you know, who's your customer and you have pharma partnerships, you have others, like at the end of the day, the most important thing that I always think about is as a customer, would I want this experience? Is this in the best interest for me? And I think about advertising and, um, and I'm not sure that I want my personal genetic experience to have ads. I don't think it's the right direction for the company. That said, there are um, times where we identify people who have a very rare condition and do we want to connect them to a clinical study? Do we want to collect, connect them to information about therapies that are out there? When I feel like it's a potential service that we are giving to our customers, um, we can put that into the research bucket and we can say, yes, we can potentially do a research study here, um, but we are not advertising based on genetics and I do not anticipate having ads within the 23andMe experience. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank all of my guests, Dr. Tom Frieden, Dr. Josh Denny, and Ann Wojcicki for being with us today. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.